Hello and welcome to Mars Matters, a six-part health-themed podcast series that explores the issues most important to you. Brought to you by Mars Pharmacy and hosted by me, journalist and author Caroline Foran, across this series we will be looking at everything from understanding fertility to menopause, to the importance of sleep, your gut microbiome and so much more. Each episode will focus on one topic and its related issues so that you can tune into what's most relevant to you and your personal experience. For this episode though, I've gone solo. You're with me and me alone and the topic, which will come as no surprise to you if you are already familiar with my work, is anxiety. I've written two international best-selling books on the topic, blow my own trumpet there, and I host a number one podcast on anxiety called Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. And unfortunately, I have plenty of experience with just how crippling anxiety can be. The good news, however, is that I've learned an awful lot about it over the years from both my own research, my own trying to understand it better, and from talking at length with various experts. And as a result, I have so much to share in the hopes that if anxiety has been an issue for you, you'll be able to get some reassurance and some helpful, actionable tips and find ways to physically calm down the anxiety that you've been dealing with. So be sure to subscribe so you get each episode as soon as it drops. And for more information on Mars Pharmacy, along with your nearest branches, go to www.marspharmacy, and that's M-E-A-G-H-E-R-S pharmacy.ie, or follow them on Instagram at Mars Pharmacy. So for this episode, I want to introduce you to a technique I've developed since my first book, which was called Owning It, that I roll out every time I feel a wave of anxiety coming over me. It's called the assess and address approach or technique, and it's very, very effective. Very simply, it's a two-part technique where we begin by trying to understand the anxiety we're feeling, figure out where it's coming from, remind ourselves of what anxiety is, and accept it as a very, very normal and necessary human experience. This is just so important. I cannot stress enough how important this part is, and it's actually more than half the battle. When we acknowledge the presence of anxiety and we take a moment to better understand our anxiety without instantly rushing to try and get rid of it, we actually make the getting rid of it a far easier task. And it has taken me years, to be honest, to appreciate this. But honestly, it is just so incredibly powerful. And if you take one thing from this episode, it's the assess part of the technique that is so crucial. Only then, once we've assessed the anxiety, remember assess and address, should we then go about addressing it because we've begun by assessing it, the addressing part will be a walk in the park. So the address part of the technique involves engaging in any and all of the activities that you know to be effective in calming your mind and body down. So that might be going for a stroll in the fresh air, it might be going for a really intense run or a high intensity workout. It might be easing off the caffeine while you're in a period of heightened anxiety. That's certainly something that that helps me. It might mean taking five minutes out every few hours to engage in some breathing exercises. You might have an app that you love. My, My favorite one is called Stop, Breathe and Think. And it's just, it's really helpful. And you can check in with how you're feeling and you can kind of log your mood and how you are at that moment. And it will suggest breathing exercises and guided meditations for you that might suit. It might mean taking more specific action if the anxiety is very tangible, such as addressing an issue at work that you know is giving rise to the feelings of anxiety within you. So sometimes it's just all we have to do is take action to address the problem you know, if it's a if it's a conversation we're we're putting off having with a friend, or it's something like that that's very that you can put your finger on. When we actually physically do that, that can help massively. And um, it might mean paring back your calendar and your to do list and having a few cozy nights in. 
this is something that's, you know, so helpful for me is to, when I feel myself go into a wave of anxiety, to, to look at what I've got going on and try and step back a little bit. It might involve curling up with Netflix. It might involve taking certain supplements to reduce the anxiety symptoms, which is something that you can absolutely broach in a confidential conversation with the on-duty pharmacist at your nearest Mars pharmacy. So we hear lots and lots about the things that can reduce our anxiety. And chances are you already know what works for you. We are incredibly solution focused when it comes to anxiety. We're problem solvers. We want to solve the problem right away. We're, we're living in a society where we, you know, at the click of a finger, we can, we can solve a problem. But that doesn't necessarily work for anxiety. And what you don't tend to hear so much about and what is absolutely part of that solution is trying to better understand it in the first place. And that takes time and patience. And that's what I want to bring your attention to in this particular episode. So first of all, if, you, if you're not already familiar, we need to remind ourselves what anxiety is and why we feel it. And even though I have spent years understanding and learning about anxiety, I still need to remind myself every now and then of the basics. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is nothing more than a physiological response we experience when our fight or flight mode is triggered. It's absolutely essential from an evolutionary perspective, because back then in hunter-gatherer times, we needed to feel that rush of stress and anxiety which came via this surge of adrenaline and cortisol in order to survive and in order to get us away from perhaps the saber-toothed tiger or whatever it was that was hunting us down and if you didn't have that fight or flight reaction you wouldn't know to run and plain and simply you would probably die so we've evolved to have this reaction and our bodies would flood with these hormones whenever we sense that there was a threat to our physical well-being However, fast forward to today though, and unfortunately our brains haven't really caught up with the times. The amygdala, which is the part of our brain where anxiety comes from, hasn't really changed all that much. It's still very primitive, it's old-fashioned, and it still reacts to threats in the very same way. The difference is the threats we're dealing with today aren't always genuine threats to our survival. And also, the amygdala doesn't really care if the threat is real or imagined. It can't tell the difference. So now what we're facing more and more are emotional threats and threats to our sense of well-being or our sense of control or our sense of a feeling of security or even threats to our sense of self-worth. So, you know, what people think of you is one thing. In some instances, um, like if you're driving a car and you're about to collide with another oncoming car, anxiety is obviously incredibly important and very necessary. But sometimes, as was the case for me, all through my experience of anxiety, it can present itself when it's really not needed. And a friend of mine, Pat Dively, who's an incredible public speaker, he described it so well to me, and I want to share this now. He said, what you want is the smoke alarm to go off whenever there is a fire. What you don't want is a smoke alarm going off every time you use the toaster. And when we enter heightened periods of anxiety and we're reacting to things we don't normally react to, it's like we're making toast nonstop. And the alarm is going off when there is absolutely no need. And the reason that the alarm is going off whenever you're using the toaster is because these days we're probably collectively more consistently stressed out than ever before and we don't even realise it. It's not just something that pops up whenever there's threat. For lots of people, it's kind of just always there. And for too many, stress becomes our new normal. And some of us even wear it as a badge of honour. I mean, I remember once kind of bragging to my friends that I'd worked a 60-hour week like I was proud of myself and so chuffed. And that is just, that's so silly. There's nothing, there's nothing impressive about that anymore. Being stressed out is not a good baseline to have. You are going to create the conditions for stress and anxiety. 
Without getting too scientific, for me, it makes a lot of sense when you understand the brain. So we've already mentioned the amygdala and I help, I find it helps to describe this as the scared, anxious child in your brain. Sometimes it's well within its right to freak out. If we go back to that car collision analogy, but a lot of the time it's overreacting, such as fearing that somehow, you know, getting up in front of a room and talking in front of people is some kind of threat to our survival. What it is, is a threat to our sense of security and our sense of self-worth, because if public speaking scares you, you're afraid of being judged or you're afraid of not being good enough. So that's the amygdala. Then there is the prefrontal cortex, which is the newer part of our brain, and it's the more logical part, and it's responsible for all of our executive functions. So I like to compare it to a CEO. It's like the rational, sensible adult in our brain. This is the part of our brain that we absolutely want in charge. But when we're stressed out, and we're stressed out for a long period of time, what happens is we wear down this part of our brain. We exhaust our prefrontal cortex, and we leave the child in charge. Then the amygdala hijacks the situation and just takes over. So again, I always think in terms of analogies, if you think of a classroom where the teacher has been worn down by screaming kids, she just gives up and leaves the room and the kids are left to run amok. So in the brain, when this happens, the amygdala is then running around trigger happy and we are left with a very sensitive nervous system and we become more susceptible to anxious thoughts, to internal and external stressors. We overreact to things we might not normally overreact to. And we feel overwhelmed and scared and we might even experience panic attacks or severe bouts of anxiety. And when that happened for me, all of my thoughts became tinged with fear. And, you know, even though I wasn't technically in an anxiety inducing situation, even if I was just sitting on my sofa, I was seeing everything through anxious eyes because of this overload in my brain. And this is why I was panicking in a supermarket trying to buy milk when a year previous to that I wouldn't have bat an eyelid. So if you're feeling anxious... It's not just you. You haven't lost it. You've just exhausted your brain and you're not quite capable of handling things as you normally would. And this is what happens when we arrive at anxiety as a reduced, as a, as a result of prolonged stress. And if you arrive at anxiety this way, like I did, you end up thinking, you know, Jesus, how did that happen? What made me feel this way? There's nothing even going on in my life. But really, you've been feeling stressed for a while and you've been ignoring it. And now your body is simply cranking it up a notch until you get the message. So it absolutely does make sense. And once you understand this, it'll always be a little bit easier to understand why you yourself might be feeling it now. I also find it helpful to keep in mind the idea of a stress scale from zero to 10. So zero being so chilled out, you're probably asleep and 10 being into complete panic mode. We probably all operate around a three or a four most of the time. We have a little bit of a, a home home of anxiety there just to, to cope in, in daily life. And then you add in something like stress at work or you add in something like um, an exam that you have coming up or something like that. And then you're up to maybe a five or a six and you feel completely fine, but you're putting a little bit more pressure on that prefrontal cortex, a little bit too much going on there. And you know, you don't do anything about it, you don't address it, and then maybe you add something else in. So such as, you know, a fight with a partner, or maybe um, too much caffeine, or maybe you've been just burning the candle, and then you're up to like a six or a seven. At this point, you still might not feel anything, you might not be aware of any anxiety or stress in your body. But as you can see, you're getting higher up the scale, and then it doesn't take very much at all to push you over into a seven or an eight or a nine, where you start to feel the symptoms of anxiety, and you think it's come out of the blue. And it hasn't. You've actually been putting that pressure on yourself little by little. Like get a, think of a plastic shopping bag getting heavier and heavier and then it snaps. So it's really important to be aware of you, be aware of where you sit on that stress scale and always do what you can to kind of bring it back down. 
And that way, anxiety won't feel like it's crept up on you out of the blue. And all it requires is awareness and a daily checking in with ourselves. If you struggle to identify anxiety within yourself, though, and you, you know, you, you find it hard to pinpoint why you're feeling it, and I know that can be incredibly challenging, this might help. So I find it really helpful to ask myself the following questions whenever I feel anxiety rising within me. So number one, what am I feeling? How would I describe it? What is going on in my life right now that might have brought this on? It might be something so seemingly innocuous, it might not, you know, you might not think you have any reason or any justification to feel anxiety. You always do. It doesn't matter if someone else is far worse off than you or there's worse things going on in the world. Anxiety is relative to you and your experience alone. Is it a situation or a thought that led to this feeling? Am I worrying about something that hasn't happened or might not happen? Or am I anxious about a situation that I'm in the midst of? So it's good to get a sense of whether you're dealing with something tangible that you can put your finger on or whether you're projecting forward and you're kind of thinking in the worst case scenario. Number three, what are the potential vulnerability factors at play here? And this is such a crucial question to ask yourself. So basically you're asking, in what ways might I be vulnerable right now? And vulnerability factors, again, can seem like no big deal at all, but they all contribute towards that feeling of being having worn down the prefrontal cortex, which means the amygdala is becoming more in charge. So am I worn out? Am I exhausted? Am I under the weather? Sometimes just being physically below par, you know, for, for women, if, they, if they're if they on their period, that can be enough to give rise to anxiety. If you have a cold, anything like that, it doesn't take very much to make your prefrontal cortex take a little step back. Are you under pressure at work? Have you been overdoing the stimulants such as sugar or caffeine or alcohol? I mean, we all know that alcohol can really give rise to feelings of anxiety the day after we've, we've, we've had a couple of drinks. So always be aware of those vulnerability factors and check in in the moment that you're feeling anxious to see what they might be. Number four, where do I feel it in my body? Can I locate it? Can I label it and say, okay, there you are. Number five, if it feels like this has come out of the blue, can I step back and look at the wider context of my life and see where this feeling of anxiety might make sense? Number six, and this is crucial, before I even do anything about it, can I accept that the anxiety I'm feeling makes sense? Number seven, would I be able to understand it or be more accepting or compassionate about it if a friend explained to me that this is what they were feeling? We always find it so much easier to be compassionate towards other people and to say, well, look, of course you're feeling overwhelmed. Of course you're feeling anxious. You've got this, this and this going on. And that makes sense. But when it comes to ourselves, we expect ourselves to be bulletproof and we expect ourselves to be resilient to the point that we don't ever feel any of the bad stuff. And that's just not fair. Number eight, can I allow for this feeling of anxiety to just wash over me without the need to do anything about it right this minute? And this is a technique called flooding. So it feels quite passive in that you're not doing anything, but it's actually very effective because you're just letting it happen. Let it flood over you and almost instantly by not trying to resist it or struggle against it, you take the horns off the anxiety. And it's kind of like not giving attention to something that's desperately looking for your attention and it calms down. And then number nine, can I vocalise all of this with someone that I trust? And if I don't feel comfortable vocalising it, if there's no one I want to talk to about it, can I even write it down with pen and paper just to get it out of my head? And that, again, seems quite like a small thing, but that can be hugely effective in terms of addressing it. And then at this point, you're ready to address the anxiety. And the one question I find helpful to get this part started is, what's the one thing I can do right now to make myself feel even just a little bit better? 
And again, it doesn't matter how small or insignificant it might seem. It doesn't matter if it means watching an episode of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, whatever works for you, as long as it's safe and healthy, of course. When addressing your anxiety, please be patient with yourself. It will take a bit of time to bring yourself back to a place of feeling at ease. It doesn't just go away overnight or in an instant. And I wish I knew that from back in the day when, you know, I thought, okay, well, I understand it now. I know what I have to do. So just why is it not gone? It takes time. All of the hormones involved and all of those parts of your brain that have been fired up and overstimulated and oversensitized, they need time to recognize that there is no major threat present and no need to be so hypervigilant and that there's no need for that smoke alarm to be going off. The worst thing you can do at this point is to get angry with yourself and to get frustrated and berate yourself for it and and like throw compassion out the window and be self-critical. You'll just keep yourself stuck in an anxiety cycle. Another thing that I've learned that is, has been a huge eye-opener for me is that we think, particularly as Irish people, that being self-critical towards ourselves, obviously, will be kind of self-motivating and that it will kick us into gear, kick us into action and just make us snap out of something and get on with it. But actually, when you enter self-critical mode, you encourage your body to produce more cortisol. So while you think you're being helpful, you're actually perpetuating the problem. Whereas if you say, okay, I'm not going to be self-critical, I'm going to be self-compassionate, when we engage in more you know, self-kindness and saying, okay, this is where I am. This is what I've got going on. I don't like it, but this is my reality. I'm going to be nice to myself. I'm going to take care of myself. You downregulate that stress response and you bring in hormones like oxytocin and the nice feel-good hormones that will help to calm your body down. So it's not just a nice idea. It's not an idea of being you know, hippie or woo-woo or just chanting to the moon or anything like that. It's scientific and it's been confirmed to me by neuroscientists that self-criticism is not helpful and self-compassion is so helpful that if it was a pill we would each take it every single day. I also find these reminders incredibly helpful to ease me through the address part of the technique. So this is the part where you still need a little bit of patience where you might be going for your walks and doing your things and thinking why am I not feeling better yet? Number one, your mind and body are trying to protect you. Work with it, not against it. I will say this again and again and again. Work with it, not against it. Number two, don't resist the anxiety. Let it happen. It will pass. Remember the flooding feeling. When you feel that you're in a tug of war with your anxiety, the best thing you can do, and this is a life skill in general, whenever you feel yourself in a tug of war with anything, such as the need to be in control, drop the rope. Number three, so much of our anxiety is wrapped up in anticipation. And I've learned this myself through my experience of being pregnant right now. And I was so frightened about the idea of being sick with morning sickness. And then I was very sick with morning sickness. And what I learned very quickly is that your ability to cope is always far greater when you're in the moment, when you're in the situation, than your fear that you won't be able to cope when you haven't gotten there yet. So your coping will always be greater than your fear and know that. Number four, having a bad week with anxiety does not mean that you've gone backwards. It's not about never feeling it, but understanding it and knowing how to move through it. Sometimes it feels like we're going to take a couple of steps backwards to take a couple of steps forward. It is not a straight and linear process. I still have stumbles along the way. I still have weeks or days where I feel anxious and I feel like, do I not know enough? Have I not learned enough? Your body and mind will always be dealing with anxiety as it comes up in your life because that's just life it's a reality that's okay it doesn't mean you've gone backwards number five and this is crucial and I've kind of touched on this already there is a time delay between realizing why you're feeling anxious and knowing that you're okay and physically feeling better so give your body a chance to catch up with your mind and know that it will eventually 
Number six, this is so, so underappreciated and doesn't get enough attention at all, but your breath is your anchor wherever you go. No matter what situation you're in, no matter whether you're about to jump off a plane or whether you're about to go and give a talk or whether you're just lying in bed, your breath is your anchor wherever you go. And slow, deep belly breaths will always downregulate your body's stress response. So you're overriding that amygdala and you're creating the conditions of calmness to stop that alarm from going off. Number seven, when you're in an anxious wave, you see everything in the future through anxious goggles. Know this. However, when you come out of this wave, which you will, the goggles will lift and your perspective will change. So tell yourself, I will feel differently about this in a few days time. I've had so many instances where I've been in in an anxious wave and I've looked to something happening in the future and thought, oh no God, I wouldn't be able for that at all. That's when I have my anxious goggles on. And then a couple of days later, when everything kind of calms down and rectifies and I looked towards that event again, the fear has kind of gone out of it. So it's just a temporary goggles and anxiety goggles that you have on you. Your perspective will always change as the anxiety settles down. Number eight, often it's not actually the presence of anxiety in our bodies, but our perception of it, that's the real problem. It's, it's okay to have anxiety. It's a very necessary human function. It keeps us alive. It keeps us alert. It keeps us vigilant. It makes us probably have a great work ethic. It makes us more compassionate. It makes us more aware. You don't want to not have anxiety in your body, but you need to perceive it in a way that's more helpful towards you. So again, to go back to number one, when you feel anxiety, your mind and body are trying to protect you. Work with it, not against it. Number nine, one of the biggest drivers of anxiety is rejecting where we're at. Of course you don't want to feel this way, but this is where you are right now. Can that be okay? Can you allow for that? Number 10, resilience is not a personality trait. You're not born a resilient person or stuck as someone who can't cope. It is a skill that you are already developing. And even by listening to this episode and engaging with me here, you're developing your resilience. And again, resilience is not about never feeling any of the bad stuff. It's about being able to feel it and bend with it. It's about being flexible. And number 11, fearlessness is not the goal. If I sat around waiting to reach the point of fearlessness, I would never achieve anything. You can still do things and achieve things alongside your anxiety and you can bring it with you and say, look, there you are. Don't really want you to be here, but you're here and I acknowledge you and it's okay. And again, all of that acknowledgement and normalizing and accepting of anxiety will help to reduce it. So look, anxiety is obviously an enormous topic and we could discuss it for hours, weeks, months, years. I've built a whole career around understanding it and addressing it so much as we wish we had one simple solution, but there's no one episode or no one podcast or solution that will make it go away entirely. What I want to leave you with, however, is the idea of owning it. And it's been a game changer for me. So again, don't try to make it go away. Don't try so hard not to be an anxious person. Own it. The world needs people just like us. You don't need to become a different person. You need to accept yourself and work with yourself and not against yourself. There's that phrase again. Don't fear your vulnerability and don't try so hard to become invulnerable. You'll never get there. And when you start to change your perspective on anxiety, which in itself is an act of addressing it, you realize that vulnerability isn't weakness. And something that I've learned is that it just might be your greatest strength. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you're really struggling with the physical symptoms of anxiety, maybe your sleep has been really affected by it, please do not hesitate to pay a visit to your nearest Mars pharmacy and have a chat with them about other ways that might help to bring balance to your mind and body. There's always help and support at hand. And with Mars Pharmacy, you're never alone. 